Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10. We'll read verses 11 through 15. Let's read God's good word together. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Have you ever worried that if people knew the real you, they'd decide you weren't someone worth knowing? There's something in each of us that worries that if people really know us, that if we reveal too much about ourselves, we'll be rejected. I remember in the first day of middle school, I was in sixth grade at Alcott Middle School in Norman, and I was sitting at my table in science class. That was my first hour, and I was sitting with Robert and Becky and Andrea. I haven't talked to any of them in years, but I can still see them sitting in front of me. And I remember feeling so insecure, so worried that they weren't going to think that I was cool enough, that I wasn't going to fit in, that I wasn't going to belong. And so I decided, logically, as any 12-year-old does, that even though my voice had not changed yet, that I was going to speak as if it had. And so I modulated it lower or approximated that as well as I could and, and began to speak a little bit more lowly. And, and, and as I spoke, Robert looked at me and kind of squinted his eyes and said, is there something wrong with your voice? And I realized in that moment that what I was doing was ridiculous. And the only thing worse than not having a deep voice is being found out pretending to have a deep voice. And so I said, yes, I have a vocal condition. And then he said, really? And I said, no, I'm just kidding. And then I played it off like nothing had ever happened. Disaster averted. But I was really close to being rejected because I was so afraid of being rejected. But we all have that fear, right? I mean, it's, it's particularly acute during those middle school years for many of us, but that doesn't go away as we get older. Sometimes it gets better, but it sticks with us. And we worry that if we really are fully known, that people won't accept us. We want to be known and accepted, but we're afraid that if people really know us, they won't accept us. And so we face a choice. We present ourselves as we think we ought to be, as we think people want us to be, as we're supposed to be. We check all the boxes. We put on a front of having everything together. Or we risk rejection. We put ourselves forward as we are. We risk being known and and the possibility that people will not like what they see and will not want to be around us will not accept us, that they'll reject us. And so often we're tempted to keep it quiet, to not share who we really are, to hide our true selves behind armor of, of the kind of things that we think people want to see. And yet we're doing the very thing that will make things worse because as shame researcher Brene Brown says, shame loves secrecy. And so whenever we hide who we really are, whenever we hide the things that we're ashamed of, the only thing that we do is give them a chance to wreak even more havoc in our lives. And so if, if we continue to do that, if we never allow ourselves to be truly known, our relationships will be hollow. We'll never have the depth of relationships that we truly desire. We'll never know the power of being known. And so that's what we're talking about this week. We are starting a brand new series called Grown Up Bible School. And this is our series, Getting Ready for Vacation Bible School, that'll take place in just 
two weeks, a little over two weeks from now. And so we're so excited. VBS is a big deal around here. And every year we have an entire series dedicated to preparing for it. And so we'll be learning the same stories that the children will be learning, but this isn't just Bible school, it's grown-up Bible school. And so we're going to be taking things a little bit deeper. We're going to be learning a little bit more and applying this at a grown-up level to the same things that they'll be doing. That they'll be doing. And so our hope for this is, is, for one, that we'll be able to be on a shared spiritual journey with the children in our church. And so whether you have children in your family or not, that as members of this community of faith, you'll be able to walk alongside them to encourage them and to help them to grow together. But as we know, or at least as I hope that you know, Bible stories are not just for children. The things that we read about, that we learn about, aren't things that just stick with us while we're kids, and and then we can set them aside and move on to other things. We actually can grow in our understanding of the Bible, of who God is, of how God works, and the things that we read about in the stories of Scripture. Because if our understanding of the Bible never progresses past childhood, if in adulthood we're still understanding things in the same way that we were as children, then our faith will be childish. And that's not the same as childlike, the kind of childlike faith that Jesus calls us to. God wants us to grow fully into maturity and spiritual adulthood. And so that's our goal for everyone this week, that we'll be able to encourage and uphold our children, and also that we will each grow in the way that God has for us. And so this week we'll be starting with night one, with Tuesday night of VBS, and our children will be learning about who Jesus is. That's the question for day one. Who is Jesus? And this is the verse that they'll be learning about. John ten fourteen. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. But since this is adult Bible school, we're not going to start there. We're actually going to take a step back, and we're going to look at the context. Because when we read the Bible, context matters. It matters what happens before and after the passages that we have. And sometimes we lose this because we focus so much on individual verses, uh, particularly in the last decade or two. We've been become part of such a soundbite culture. We just, you know, want a little bit, and that's all we need to know. And, and particularly in the meme culture that we have now, we just, you know, we can take one little bit and apply it however we want. And uh, it gets kind of ridiculous, I think, more than half of the quotes that I see online are fake. And so we want to really dig into the context. We want to see what actually happens around the verses that we'll be learning. And so uh, that verse comes from John 10, 14. But actually, if you want to know the context of that, you've got to start in John chapter 9, where we read that one day Jesus came upon a man who was born blind. And so this man had been blind since his birth. And as Jesus was walking with his disciples, he um, saw a man. And this is what we read about in, uh, in chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so the disciples saw this man um, who was blind, um, and somehow they knew that he had been born that way. And so they asked, you know, obviously someone sinned for him to have this condition. That was just a foregone conclusion for them. They were just trying to figure out, was it him or was it his parents? Whose fault is it that this person has this condition? And so they're, they're passing this man, and that's the question that comes to them. And it's really striking to me that instead of a person, what the disciples saw was a theological problem to be solved. Trying to figure out, you know, what, what is the issue that's going on with this man? What, what, is, what is the... the theological etiology of his condition. Instead of actually seeing him, of talking to him, maybe asking if he needed anything. Later in the, in the chapter, we learn that he often had to beg in order to have enough um, to, to provide for himself. And they didn't see any of that. All they saw was someone who was a problem. 
And so they discussed, you know, what, what that actually was, but didn't do anything to try to help him. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus, in, in somewhat unconventional fashion, spat on the ground, um, made mud, and healed the man. And so he, uh, he did this really odd way of healing someone. I, you know, I guess if you're the son of God, your, your spit has really um, impressive properties. But um, that's what he did, and the man was healed. And so all of these people who had known him for his whole life um, suddenly saw this man who they'd always known to be blind, and he could see. And so this is what John tells us, the way that they reacted. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. And so he kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? And so here again, this man's had this miracle, and yet the people who were around him, and this time people who actually knew him, could only focus on whether he was actually the person that they thought that they knew. After he was, hit, after he was healed, many of his neighbors didn't even recognize him. And so still, here again, he wasn't someone who they were interested in knowing. They just wanted to talk about and to gossip about and try to figure out what had actually happened. They didn't even recognize him. Well, it goes from bad to worse as yet another group gets involved, and, and things do not get better for the man. And so this is how John continues. They, they brought to the Pharisees, his neighbors brought to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He, Jesus, put mud on my eyes. Then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. And so here they were, something miraculous had happened. Someone who had never been able to see in his entire life was now able to see, now had his sight given to him for the first time. And instead of celebrating what God had done in this man's life, the Pharisees interrogated him for their own ends. Because they saw Jesus' arrival, they were concerned about him, and were trying to figure out a way to discredit him and to get him out of the way. And so they saw an opportunity in this man. Jesus had healed him on the Sabbath. Um, Doing work on the Sabbath day, of course, was forbidden in the Mosaic Law. And so they saw that as an opportunity to discredit Jesus and began to argue And all this man was to them was a pawn that they could use in their schemes to discredit Jesus. The man who was healed was surrounded by people who didn't see him as someone worth knowing. They just saw him as a theological issue to be solved, someone that they didn't even know well enough to recognize. I mean, I at least know most of my neighbor's voices and could recognize them that way. Not so with his neighbors. And then some even used him as a pawn in their schemes. You know, there are few feelings worse than being used by people who don't even care about us. And yet that's what happened to this man. They didn't care enough to know him. They just cared enough to try to use his condition toward whatever ends they had for themselves. And yet that's not how Jesus treated him. Jesus has treated him totally different. Not only did he heal him, but after Jesus heard about all that had happened with the Pharisees and with everyone else, this is what he said. Jesus heard that they had driven the man out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. And so Jesus sought him out, not for any other purpose other than to reveal himself to the man, to make himself known to the one whom he had healed and the one who had trusted him. 
and he sought him out. And so, so this is all the background that it happened in, whenever we read about, John, about Jesus, what he says in John ten fourteen. And so at, with that context, this is the teaching. And so after all of that had happened, after Jesus had healed the man and the argument with the Pharisees, and then um, Jesus had gone out and sought the man out to speak with him, Jesus began speaking with the Pharisees about the relationship with sheep, between sheep and shepherds. He used this as a figure of speech, kind of an object lesson to teach them about himself. And so this is what he said, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And so if you've got sheep um, in an enclosure, um, if you're the shepherd, you go in through the gate, right? If if you're someone who has bad intentions, you try to sneak over the fence to get in any other way. You don't want to be seen going in the gate, and so you find another way, and that's what he's talking about. The gatekeeper opens the gate for the shepherd, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. And so Jesus tells them this, and I'm sure they were like, okay, this is random. Why are you telling us about shepherding? We've we've seen plenty of shepherds. We've grown up with them all around us. And so Jesus uses that metaphor, uses that figure of speech to tell the Pharisees who he is and his relationship to God's people, to the people that he's been sent to. And and so he continued, and, and this is really where we get into the teaching. This is what he says. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Okay, that, that's kind of confusing. We'll come back to that. I'm the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so that's the difference between the ones who came before Jesus and between Jesus himself. And, and whenever he talks about them, whenever he's talking about the people who came before to, to steal and, and to kill what he's talking about, is people who would use people like the man who was born blind for their own ends, who take what they want and try to get what their own desires out of it without regard for their well-being. And so unlike those who seek their own good at the expense of the sheep, Jesus came to bring them abundant life. Life that is full, not just that that is really long, although he promises eternal life and uses that phrase somewhat synonymously, um, but life that is to the fullness, to to the fullness that God has for all God's people. And what he says whenever Jesus says, I am the gate, what he's saying is Jesus himself is not only the one who leads people, but he himself is the way to that life. Jesus himself is the way. And we can follow him to the life that God wants for us, that Jesus had for us. And so this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And one of the things that's really interesting about this statement is is his original hearers would have heard this as much more than just kind of a a standard statement about comparing oneself to a shepherd. Those first two words, I am, actually evoke something from back in Exodus chapter 3, from the story of the burning bush, if you remember that. Whenever um, Moses is speaking with with God through the burning bush and and gets sent to Egypt to let his people go, he says, you know, whenever, um, whenever I 
I go and say that the God of my ancestors has sent me to set you free, they're going to ask me, what is that God's name? And if you remember how God answered, um, God answered by saying, I am, or I will be who I will be. It's, it's difficult to translate, but has this, this uh, connotation of almost as being itself. And so whenever Jesus says, I am, in these statements, um, he's saying it in a very pointed way and identifying himself with God. And so stating his, his uh, connection with God, his identity with God in a way that the Pharisees probably, and really we, we see this later, um, find blasphemous. That saying that he is one with God is something that they don't think any human can claim. And of course, Jesus is much more than human, but, but is, there's so much in that statement that he's not only just someone who's, who's making a metaphor, but is actually identified with God. And as he does that, he calls himself the good shepherd. And again, many places in scripture, we see God identifying with shepherds. We, we read about in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We see um, in, in Ezekiel chapter 34, God saying, I will be my people's shepherd. And, and so that's how, what Jesus says. And unlike hired hands, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, maybe you're a business owner, and so you can relate to this, but you know that nobody cares for your business. Even your best employees don't care as much as you because it's something that you've built from the ground up. It's something that has your blood, sweat, and tears baked into it. If you're a homeowner, you know that even the best tenant isn't going to care for the home the same way that you will. And so it's the same thing. As the good shepherd, um, Jesus knows that no one else will care for his flock in the same way that he will. This is what he says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And here we read the passage that our children will be learning about. And so with all of this background, we get now to the point that Jesus is the good shepherd who not only cares for the sheep, but knows each one, who who knows their, their quirks, who can call them by the names, the nicknames that he's given to them, who knows which ones he needs to watch out for, which ones will stay with the flock, which ones have a tendency to wander off. He knows and cares for each one. And throughout the scriptures, we see testament to this, that God cares for each and every one of us, not just as a collective. And maybe this is where Jesus differs from Captain America. Captain America is wonderful. And I think he's great. But he has this kind of like, like communal benevolence for people he doesn't know. Jesus, Jesus loves everyone, but knows every single one of them. Each one of us, Jesus knows and cares for. And so we see testament to this throughout the scriptures, including in Psalm 139. It says, For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. I know that very well. And whenever we talk about God's works, what are we talking about? Each and every one of us. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's how intimately God knows each one of us. Jesus knows us fully, and because of that, and sometimes even in spite of that, accepts us unconditionally. He doesn't just accept us if we're acceptable. He doesn't just accept us based on our worthiness. Our acceptance doesn't depend on our acceptability, only on our relationship to the shepherd, the good shepherd who knows us and who calls us by name. 
And so if we really know this, if we really believe this, that can change everything. It can change the way that we live. But it takes us practice to live into that. It takes us practice to really internalize it because it's a hard thing for us to accept. Henry Nouwen says that one of the hardest things for us to accept is that we are accepted unconditionally. And so as we explore this verse, as we have our children during vacation Bible school, this is what we want them to know, that we want each of them to be able to say, I can have confidence because I am known, because God knows me fully and loves me fully. That's what we want all of our children to be able to say. That's what we want you to be able to say, whether you're a child, an adult, um, a student, wherever you are on the life cycle. We also want our adults to know this, and maybe to take it a step further, that being known by Jesus means that we can be our authentic selves, that we don't have to hide behind what the, whatever we feel like we have to project in order to be acceptable. We don't have to hide behind our accomplishments, behind the tough exterior that we feel like we have to put out, behind um, the, the illusion of having it all together. One of the things that I often armor myself with is my sense of humor. If I can just keep that between me and other people, then I don't have to be vulnerable and let them see beyond that. But we don't have to do that. Jesus knows us and accepts us, and because of that, we can be who we really are, the people Jesus created us to be, and the people that he loves, not as we could be, but as we are. And that's something that we have to practice every day. And so um, this is how Brene Brown defines authenticity. I think it's really helpful as we try to practice it. She says, Authenticity is the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we are. Letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we are. Because that's the person that God created, not the person that we want to be. Who we are is who God created. And God doesn't want us to be someone else. If God wanted us to be someone else, God would have created someone else. And in fact, God created like 7 billion other someone else's who live on the planet at the same time that we do. God wants you to be you. And that's the person that God loves and accepts and that Jesus knows fully. And whenever we know that we are known and accepted, we can accept others too. This is what Jesus says. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Sometimes we hear this really good news that we're accepted, that we are known, and we're like, okay. I'm, I'm coming to the party. We can close the door. The important people are here. We don't have to let anyone else in. You know, that's not what Jesus says. He says he has many other sheep and other flocks, and he'll bring them all together, and we will be one, and he will be their shepherd. And so whenever we know that we're accepted, we know that we can accept others too. Because if Jesus can accept what we find unacceptable in ourselves, how can we hold that against anyone else? Because we know that the good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. Not just us, but for everyone. No matter how unacceptable they feel. And so that's what I hope this week. That you will know that you are known and loved. That you will begin to embrace fully the person God created you to be. And no longer feel the need to present yourself as someone else. And so here are a few small steps that I want to invite all of us to take. Here are our action steps for this week. 
And first, I want to invite you to learn someone's name, someone that you encounter a lot. And, you know, maybe it's one of those people that, whose name you should know by now. And uh, you've been pretending for so long that, that it's gotten awkward and, and probably they know, but, but you don't want to chance them not knowing that you don't know. And so you just don't ask them. But one of the most powerful things we can do to help other people feel known is to know their names. There's something powerful about greeting someone by name that communicates that they matter, that we see them, that we acknowledge them, and that we want to know them. And, and so I want to challenge you, somebody you don't know. And I, I know that many of us struggle with this, and uh, it's not something that comes as easily to some as it does for others, and, and that's okay. You don't have to be perfect. But one of the things that I've noticed about people who are good with names is that they practice. It's not just something that happens and they have a photographic memory. I mean, that's a small subset of the people. But for most of them, they have to actually pay attention and be intentional about remembering names. So whatever you need to do, I mean, don't be creepy. But, you know, if you need to write down their name as soon as you finish the conversation, um, if you need to, to text it to yourself in your phone, whatever it is, but learn someone's name this week so that whenever you greet them, they will know that you know them and that they matter to you. And then as you seek to to be fully yourself, I want to invite you to share with God about a source of shame that you've kept hidden. You know, we know that God knows everything about us, but still frequently there are things that we can't bear to talk about in prayer with God that we don't even want to admit to ourselves are true. And so I invite you just to open that up, to allow for God's healing to begin, and to share with God about one of those things that you try to pretend doesn't exist. One of the, maybe it's something in your past. Maybe it's something about you. Whatever it is, I want to invite you to share that with God, to allow God to embrace you fully so that you can know that even in spite of that thing, God's love for you and God's acceptance for you goes far beyond it, that even that has no hold on God's love for you. And then as that begins, I want to invite you to share that with a trusted confidant who can help you work through it. And so that, that trusted part is really important. You know, don't go posting on social media about things like this, um, but stick with someone who you know is safe, who you know can keep confidence, and someone who's spiritually mature and can help you to begin to own fully who you are and to allow God to begin the healing in those deep spaces. You know, maybe this is a professional, this is someone like a counselor or a therapist, and, and that's great. Whatever is appropriate for you, but I want to invite you to share so that you can be fully the person that God created you to be, the person that God loves and accepts. Because God accepts every single one of us, no matter what. No matter what, what we've accomplished or haven't accomplished, no matter how much we own, what our title is, no matter any of that stuff, even no matter how deep your voice is, God loves you, God created you, and God accepts you no matter what. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you sent the Good Shepherd to us and that he did lay down his life for his sheep and yet that he also took it up again, that he rose and offered abundant life to each and every one of us. And so God, help us to step fully into that life. Help us to set aside the things that are holding us back. Help us to set aside the barriers that we erect to try to protect ourselves. Help us to be fully who we are and to experience your light and love in our lives. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending him. And we thank you that he taught us even how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.